This is on the ground. This is all very real. The analogy that I've used before is that, you know, if, if it's a grand restaurant, if it's a five-star restaurant that you've been in all these years, we're going back in the kitchen or we're going down in the, the basement kitchen in this show. This is what's happening in the back of the house. This is what's happening to real people when a revolution's going on. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Dagobah Dispatch, where we always have respect for the difference between knowledge and wisdom. The first three episodes of Andor have been unleashed, and we are going to get all into it this week as we share our thoughts on what we saw. Plus, we've got two big-time interviews for you, as we'll be joined by the star of the show, Diego Luna, as well as the creator of the show, Tony Gilroy. How's that for a one-two punch? I am Dalton Ross, fresh out of the Corporate Tactical Force Academy, joined by Corporate Zone buddy Lauren Morgan. Devin Kogan is not with us right now, but you will be treated to her uh, dulcet tones a little bit later when she chats with Tony Gilroy. But for now, it's just you and me, Lauren, uh, fighting against the world, not unlike uh, Cassie and Luthen making their big escape from Ferrix. Hello. How are you doing? I mean, I'm good. I'm good. We're finally talking about some new Star Wars shows again. Know. You know what I mean? We don't have to talk about Ewoks anymore or anything, <laughs> you know. You wish we were. <laughs> don't you lie to me for one second. No, I'm, I'm okay. I think I've had my Ewok fill for now. All right. Well, listen, there's more Ewoks to be had because don't think I've forgotten about the Ewoks cartoon. <laughs> like, I have not forgotten about the animated Ewoks. I just feared, like... The listeners probably needed a break. I know Lauren, yeah. although everything she's saying, she did, did not need a break from the Ewoks. She embraces Ewoks of all shapes and I sizes. I do. I love the Ewoks, you know? Sure she does. I sure mean, she does. Mm -hmm. But I figured they needed a little bit of... Maybe we'll even hit the droids cartoons before the Ewoks cartoons. But mm -hmm. they're coming. Yeah. They're coming. It's coming eventually. We're going to talk about everything. I mean, we'll get to the holiday special and we aim to talk about everything. So. Yeah. And today we're going to talk uh, and or, uh, as I just mentioned, uh, I spoke with Diego Luna about the first three episodes and you're going to get to hear that interview. And uh, Devin spoke with Tony Gilroy, the creator of the show. So you're going to get to hear that interview as, as well. But first off, what did Lord and I think of Andor? They and and. So this is a little weird. Uh, I'm not saying this mm -hmm. in a braggy way at all. I'm just saying this sort of informationally. I watched these a long time ago. They they mm -hmm. they released these. I don't even beginning of August or something. I can't remember. Yeah, Lord. it was, it, it was somewhere in August. Right. You got to see them before I got to see them because I only got to see them last week. But you and Devin got to see them early. So you know, right, but it had been like it's been a while. It was like early August. I, I think. think they tried to beam them to you on the Galactic Star Cruiser, but something was wrong <laughs> with the Wi-Fi there. Um, so this is back when the show was originally supposed to uh, debut in August. So they sent them in early August, and mm -hmm. then that got pushed to late September. So anyway, this is what I'll say uh, to kick off our discussion on the first three episodes of Andor, which were just released on Disney+. Plus. When I watched them, mm -hmm. I, and this is before they announced the rollout plan, we knew the date. It was in August, uh, August originally, but we didn't know how they were rolling it out. As soon as I watched them, I knew they were going to release the first three episodes together. I knew yeah. that was going to happen. There's no way they couldn't do it because it was so slow moving. And it's kind of the same way when I watched, not to this, I mean, a different degree, Lauren, but when mm -hmm. I watched Obi-Wan, uh, I totally understood why, even though they only had six episodes, they put two together. 
Yeah. Because by the end of the first episode, he still hasn't even left Tatooine to go on the journey. It was all set up, right? Yeah. The first episode of Obi-Wan was all set up. There's a lot of freaking set up. In a Andor. lot, a <laughs> lot of setup. <laughs> and that was like last, uh, I mean, I watched these as soon as I got them uh, last week. And then I sort of saw the social reaction and people were like, oh, it's amazing. And, and this, and I was sort of like, I was like, I didn't really think it started out amazing. It, it, it was the first two episodes were pretty slow to me. And I will admit, I watched them when I was in the depths of a head cold. So I wasn't the clearest of heads, but the first two episodes were really slow to me. And it wasn't until uh, we saw episode three and like midway through episode three, when when Stellan Skarsgård showed up as Luthen, that I was like, oh, OK, now we're starting to, to move because the first two episodes, like I know people were saying they were deliberate and more slow paced and, you know, and, and all this sort of stuff, but they I will admit the first two episodes did not catch my attention very well. And then it wasn't until like the, you know, the stakes started happening that I got involved in it. So it it felt like those first three episodes should have been edited down into Mm -hmm. one, one hour episode, right? I don't know what the running time on, on them all was. They were like 40 minutes, like 30 minutes. So it's sort of like, but yeah, like I definitely like 20 minutes needed to be edited out somewhere amongst those. And it just needed to be one, uh, one tight one hour episode. Cause there was a lot of stuff where I was like, why am I watching this right now? Which I mean, other people might hit differently, but I definitely thought they could have taken those first three and sort of edit them into a tighter storyline. Cause I thought the pacing was kind of off on the first two. Well, they, they clearly feel the same way somewhat as mm-hmm. well. I mean, Diego Luna has said, he didn't say this in, in my interview, which you'll hear, but I saw somewhere else where he explained that, yeah, they pushed the date back and they really fought to have all three episodes air together because they must have known too. Like yeah. the, the excitement really comes and there is some things I like in the first two and we'll get into that, right? But there, but the excitement really comes in that third episode and, and we're not going to talk about episode four because even though mm-hmm. Lauren and I have seen that yet, no one else has. It's a weird thing, Lauren, like after the first three episodes, like after the first four episodes, I guess I'll just sort of lump them together a little bit, although we won't talk about episode four. It's like mm-hmm. I had definite, as I know you did reservations about some of the stuff, but I felt really good about where it's going. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I feel mm-hmm. good about the series in terms of the direction of the series. I just felt like it took too long to get to where we all want to be, which is Cassian on this, this uh, mission. Now, Mm -hmm. with the Rebellion, it's sort of weird, Lauren, because he says in Rogue One, I've been in this fight since I was six years old. Yeah. But then when we start the series, he's not really in the fight Mm -mm. uh, and has to be convinced to join the fight. Now, we have flashbacks that we'll get into as well uh, that maybe are going to shed some light on that. But yeah, just a a whole lot of time to get where we and basically the story is taking place in two different time frames, right? There's the Mm -hmm. quote unquote sort of present, although the present is five years before Rogue One. And then there's these flashbacks to when Cassian is like, you know, I don't know. He's a little kid. Maybe, yeah. Six years old or something. I don't know how old he is. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like eight, nine, maybe. Yeah. And I feel like the flashbacks did absolutely nothing for me at all. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Like, and, and that's the one thing is like, I did want to rewatch the episodes, but I didn't get a chance. I just felt like they were definitely something that could have gotten edited out or edited into a tighter thing because there, there are a reason why you are seeking the flashbacks. But it's kind of just like, I felt like they needed to be tightened up and we didn't quite need to have that many of them. I did like the fact that the um, 
the show was actually giving you title cards of what planets you were on because I always felt, uh, and this is what they did in Rogue One, but I liked right. that because, you know, in other Star Wars show, you're like, what planet are we on? I have no idea what planet. And if you're writing a recap, you're like, we're on this planet that, you know, so it's nice to be able to refer to a planet by name. Um, but yeah, the, the, the flashbacks, they didn't quite work for me either, though I'm hoping that they're, uh, you know, everything seems to be leading to a certain place. By the time we got to episode four, I was on board with where we were going. Yeah, it's interesting that they didn't they did not subtitle the flashback dialogue because none of it's yeah, in English. So you, you have <laughs> that no was idea another thing. Yeah. what's going on uh, on this. Basically, it's what the flashbacks are on this planet of Canari with Cassian and his sister. It's sort of this kids colony um, where it's an imperial mining planet that was, I guess, apparently abandoned after a mining disaster and a bunch of people died and these these kids are on it and we're following them through the first three episodes. And then sort of in the present, what you're doing is it starts with Cassian looking for this, this sister and he goes to essentially what's, what's, what's a brothel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've talked about some you know things that we have didn't like about the first three episodes. I'll, I'll tell you something that I do like about Cassian. I'm much more of a fan of the character of Cassian than you are, I think. Mm-hmm. And and we see early on why I'm a fan of Cassian. Cause what happens is he goes in this brothel. He's looking for this, his sister. There's these like, corporate security guards and then then they get into a little you know row in there and then later they sort of follow him out and they shake him down essentially they yeah. shake him down for some money and then he sort of fights back and then you know accidentally kills one of them mm-hmm. um totally unintentionally but you know in this sort of scrum he, he kills this guy then the other security guard looks at cassian's like you know you killed him or whatever and cassian basically looks him right in the face and murders the second <laughs> pretty much yeah he murders him he straight yeah. up kills him he's you know, this guy was shaking him down but like that's resolved this guy's and he just straight up doesn't just run he kills this guy mm-hmm. and in an era of han not shooting first right and like greedo and your your heroes have to be people who you know get a little dirty but not too dirty i love that they did this and i love sort of the echo intentional or not to the first time we meet him in rogue one the first time we meet mm-hmm. him in rogue one he straight up murders someone who's an ally. He murders an informant, a guy who's trying to help the rebellion, who's just being a little he's too panicking. loud. Right, he's panicking. Yeah. So Cassian just straight up kills the dude. Yeah, it's I like, like I'm it sorry you're panicking, but you're you're creating an issue, so you've got to go. So. Yeah, I love that. Like, I feel like not nearly enough attention gets gets paid to that, that this truly is, in terms of the hero characters of Star Wars, no one goes further than Cassian. I mean, you could, yeah. I mean, it, you got Saul Guerrero doing his thing, but he's more of a tertiary character. But like Cassian is like all in. And so I love that. Like I I love the fact that you have a character that will go to these extremes. And he has another instance later in episode three, Lauren, where he meets up with Stellan Skarsgård's character, Luthen, who's you know, you know basically like join the planet, jo- yeah. sorry, join the rebellion, leave this planet with me right now. And they they sort of capture this uh kyle solar's character cyril karn a deputy inspector who we'll talk about these other characters in a minute and and luthan is like all right kill him but in that instance cassian doesn't which i find yeah. sort of interesting so he does in one point but then he doesn't in the other because i think in the first time it really was about his survival and this time he feels he can get away whatever it's complicated and I love that complicated nature of the character, but I guess you're not as big a Cassian fan as I am. I, well, I wouldn't say I'm not a big Cassian fan. I just feel like out of the characters of Rogue One, I didn't think that 
Cassian and Jin were the strongest ones. Uh, I felt like they felt in that movie a little bit thin um, compared to some of the other characters that we saw. But, you know, I love Diego Luna and I'm willing to, I wanted to see more and wanted to see what kind of a backstory they would give him. And I do like the fact that he has a complicated morality and he's not just, you know, he's definitely more of a great character, even though he's fighting for the rebellion. And I think that's the like a fascinating thing because I think recent years it's been like you're black or you're white, and I I find the characters that are more in the gray territory to be more interesting. Um, so I think I'm definitely interested to uh, see Cassian go forward. But I didn't feel like the first two episodes really set Cassian up quite as well as I was hoping to like to get sort of like like and this is where I'll get the flashbacks. I don't really think the flashbacks were giving me much more about Cassian and about like the kind of person he is and that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, if you're going to have a flashback, like why are you showing me a flashback unless you're giving me some character development here? And so I felt like that was sort of like the weak part. But um, I will say like when Stalin Skarsgård showed up and like sort of the plot started to like kick in and I thought he and uh, uh, Luthen and Cassian had an interesting energy kind of back and forth with each other. Cause it was like Luthen, you can tell like, this is a guy who is very experienced. He's been doing this for a really long time. He is running a bunch of different kind of cons. You know, he knows how to get out of situations when he said, you know, you don't enter a situation without making it an exit path of, of some sort. I thought like, Oh, okay. This, this is like kind of an, uh, this is an interesting person. So I'm kind of totally willing to see like where, Cassian goes from here. I just didn't think like back in Rogue One, I just always thought like Cassian and Jin were not the strongest characters. They weren't, they didn't pop for me as well as some of the other ones did. So that's kind yeah, of Yeah, I, I disagree on the Cassian element of that in yeah. terms of Rogue One, but I but I a hundred percent agree in terms of I mean, we've already talked about those flashbacks. Every time the flashback would come on the screen, I'd literally just be like, oh yeah. you know what I mean? Like, oh, like no, like yeah. or, or at least like, okay, well, maybe this is the time something happens. And eventually we learn that. You know, he gets picked up by some people and taken off the planet. He leaves the planet. But like, yeah, okay, like yeah. that couldn't have happened so much earlier. I like, honestly, I, I really wish I, I had just we had just seen the thing where he meets um, yeah, the just character start there. And gets picked. Yeah, we. I did not need to see the rest of that. But start there. You know, totally agree. And so, but now he's at least off the damn planet. Yeah, um, we we've talked about how much we like Luthen, character played by Stone Skarsgård. And he is a guy that we're going to see, obviously, a lot more of. Let's, let's talk about some of the other characters here mm -hmm. and some thoughts. And, of course, if we're talking with Lauren Morgan, we're going to start with the droid. Uh, <laughs> what is this? Is, I don't even know. That, is it B2, like, emo? Is this, like, a, a My Chemical Romance fan? Or is he, like, part of the Taking Back Sunday crew? I don't know yeah. what's going on here. But this is, uh, this is uh, Cassian's droid when we meet him. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not going to be a Star Wars property unless they uh, introduce a new droid. And, you know, K2SO is not in this yet, which I know you're sad about because that is your favorite. I will remain, I I have not seen quite enough yet of this droid to form a deep impression. So um, I'll be looking out, but, I, you know, it, it, it has not yet won me over. It's no chopper as, as far as I can see yet. We need, a, first off, we need a K2SO chopper like cage match between you and me at some point. <laughs> chopper would fight dirty. That's all I know. Do you have any memory? Did I like, is this a fever dream? Did this actually happen? Or was there like a Comedy Central show called like Battle Bots? Oh, there was. Yeah, where I people, have actually. Yeah, I, where people would send robots into like a cage or something and they would just battle each other. I've actually watched Battle Bots and <laughs> my husband would watch it. So sometimes I, like I have watched Battle Bots. I'll let you know, spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. I did ask Diego about 
my t- hot take on K2SO being the best droid in the Star Wars galaxy. <laughs> of course. And you'll get to hear his reaction <laughs> on the podcast. So it might not be his reaction and answer might not be what you think. So that's all set. Okay. It's, uh, it's interesting. All right. Let, let's go to some of these other characters. Um, Kyle Soler plays Cyril Karn. He's the deputy mm-hmm. inspector. Essentially, there's this case, you know, that he's realized that these two uh, corporate security guards are dead. He wants to uh, pursue it. His higher up says, leave it alone. He can't do it. Uh, he's super high strung and seems in some cases to be pretty good at his job and in other cases, not so good at his job. Mm-hmm. I love the scene, Lauren, where where he's asked to say a few words to the troops uh, to rally them up before they go to like hit the planet's surface. And he just gives like a super painfully awkward speech <laughs> that there's That's just what like- That's I really liked about eyes. his character, how awkward he was. Cause it's usually, you know, the villains, you know, they're always like silky smooth or like, you know, sort of, sort of like diabolical. And this guy is just, He's so like overly tense and very awkward. And I was like, oh, if this is the villain, I'm very much enjoying this, this portrayal. I also really enjoyed the scene where his higher up was just sort of explaining why they weren't going to do anything about it. Cause I was just like, oh, this is just, you know, corporate bureaucracy. And, 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 you know, yeah, this is, this is way too much of a bother. We're just gonna, we're just gonna lie and say this was something else. (laughs) So I enjoyed that scene as well. He's the kind of guy, it's interesting. He's not. He's not someone that's just seems like he's in it for the power, yeah. right? He's not just some guy that just sort of like went along with the the program. He 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 has some sort of code, right? And he has some sort of like belief in, in between like right and wrong that might be warped. He's pursuing this case because it it rankles him so yeah. much that that someone has done something to some of the people in his company and like is going to walk free that he insists on pursuing it uh, to his own to his own detriment. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting. You don't necessarily see that exact shade of villain in in the Star Wars universe, and it kind of makes you wonder if he is if his whole thing is built on ideals and not power. Like, could this eventually at some point be an Agent Callus situation? Yeah, that's to, interesting. Uh, throw back to Rebels, like where he could eventually like get so frustrated. Now, you know, there's some things are going to happen in, in Episode Four. I can, we won't spoil that, but like, just like you could see him being so idealistic. That maybe if eventually those ideals are trampled on by the people he works for, maybe he he spins goes the other way. Else. Yeah, I could definitely maybe. See that. I don't know. I thought he was definitely in terms of like I thought he was just very interesting from a psychological standpoint. I was like, oh, he feels so persnickety that it's almost realistic. Like how persnickety he feels. Like I thought that was he was pretty interesting. And unlike the thing where his higher up was like, did you tailor your uniform? And he was like, yes, I made it fit better. And I'm just like, I'm like, what a weirdo you are. <laughs> I love what he told Devin on our podcast last week where he said he plays him like he always has like a wasp in his Oh, mouth. yeah, that was like. But he's, like <laughs> uncom- he's just constantly uncomfortable yeah. and just sort of. Yeah. Uh, I love that. So you have this character of Bix. Mm-hmm. She's a, sort of a Cassian sort of female mechanic friend who has to watch her bummer of a boyfriend bite it. Yeah. Where was like uh, where where is Ireland in the galaxy? <laughs> like is the guy's Irish accent. I was like, okay, I know we sort of have like there's a British you know area in the galaxy. Where's the Irish part of the galaxy? Because <laughs> I thought that was interesting. 
What do you think of uh, of Bix? Unclear if there's like potential romantic leanings here or not between her and Cassian. Yeah, it definitely seemed to have that there had been something that happened and it is not currently happening. Definitely sort of was catching uh, jealous feelings on Cassian's part. Um, with Bix, like kind of I'm interested to see more. But like, you know, again, it was like I think the problem is was like the first two episodes. It was like she was caught up in a lot of the, the plot lines where I was like, let's move this along. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure she's going to come back into this uh, in an interesting way, especially since her Irish uh, beau seemed to have gotten it. Yeah, that guy was a big jerk face. I don't know why she was so upset <laughs> when he died. That dude sucked, Lauren. Yeah. He sucked. He did seem like he really sucked. And that was kind of like when that guy showed up, I was like, oh, this is the guy that's just going to be kind of there you know, it's like he should have he could have just been wearing a red shirt for, you know, right. in Star Trek pa- parlance. But but I don't know how Bix plays into the story now because he left. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. Like sh- she's still there. I don't I'm sure I'm, sh- I'm sure she'll she'll come in some some other way. But I haven't haven't quite caught my attention. Right, wh- so. What about Fiona Shaw, who plays Cassian's uh, adopted? It seems mother Marva and or here. I mean, I love Fiona Shaw. She's been in so many different things. So. I was glad where they clarified um, where their relationship came from. Cause at first I was like, hold on, is this his mother? This like, seems like kind of, you know, sh- uh, a little bit strange casting on that front. I'm, you know, interested to see more about her because obviously she seems like she's been, she has a whole long history here. So I'm curious about how she's going to tie into stuff. I don't know. Does she know Luthen? Does this kind of stuff like this? It seems like she's been up to stuff for a while. So, well, Luthen makes that comment at one point. He says it, he knows mm-hmm. that they hung Cassian's father in the square. So, oh yeah. So yeah, there it's sort of a a side comment as he's trying to recruit him to the rebellion. So it's like, what is that all about? Yeah. How does that factor yeah. in? You have to feel it's, yeah. it's some in some way it does. Yeah, you know, we're gonna get to we'll get to Diego Luna. You can hear from him in just a second, and then Tony Gilroy. Um, mm-hmm. So what are your generals, any other sort of thoughts, like, or, or as we get into sort of our general takeaways from the first three episodes? One thing that I did love and I thought was such a difference from uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and like the Book of Boba Fett and even the Mandalorian was I loved the way that, you know, the world felt so much more lived in because, I mean, I think the volumes are really amazing technique, but it, there is sort of a sort of a sense of like falseness sometimes. And this world felt really lived in like the production design was like top notch, like Everything was so super detailed. It looked like you could open up any drawer and there'd be stuff in it. And like, you know, it just seemed like a world that was much more lived in than the past couple of Star Wars shows have been. Uh, and I I really liked that. And it gave it a really sort of, it gave it a completely different feel than I think any of the other uh, Star Wars shows have had so far, especially like the ones on Disney+. Plus. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I like Tony Gilroy like I've, I've just really enjoyed his his previous work and so it was like once like we got kind of halfway through three and by four i was kind of totally in but the production design was something that i did really enjoy because it just made that the world looked a lot sort of richer and i think the cinematography was great and the way they were shooting the fights and stuff like that i thought from a like a, a production standpoint it looked like a plus so far I feel like the, what did you i think? feel like it was just a, a big tactical error on mm-hmm. lucasfilm's part to publicize as much as they did the technology of the volume. Like they're constantly yeah. doing featurettes on every interview I did for everyone, everyone's talking about the volume, this, that, and like, and it is remarkable. And for those that don't know what it is, is imagine a giant oval room, right? And then if they're doing shooting something in Tatooine or whatever, they've got some sand on the floor and they're filming that. And then they project the background 
mm-hmm. like almost fully 360 degrees onto this screen and that fills it out and it looks great. But like once you know all about the volume and then you go back and watch Mandalorian or Obi-Wan, you kind of constantly have the sense that they're only working in about like 10 feet each way. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not like, and it's interesting. Cause like in the, um, in the Obi-Wan documentary that we talked about, there was a scene where I think O'Shea Jackson, uh, junior was in the volume and they were just like flipping, like it went from like all the way yeah. white into like a couple of different things. And you're like, wow, that's really cool. But also I, I still just think when you build a set and you really do the details and there's the real lighting and that kind of, and the, you know, the, the, the proper lighting and stuff like that, the human eye can tell. I think it's like, it's like as good as the volume is, I think the human eye can sort of sense that there's something not realistic going on about it. I mean, and I know the volume's great because it get, can reproduce the accurate light and things of that sort. But I, I mean, there still is something to be like building a set and doing all of this like real world production stuff that I think makes it, it makes it, it made this feel a lot richer than the other I Star Wars. Totally, set. totally agree. And it's, it's interesting because I think you, I don't want to speak completely for Devin, but I was texting a lot with Devin when we watched it back in August. And then you, we were texting with you about it when you watched it. And mm-hmm. suffice it to say, her thoughts on the show are, are very similar to ours. And But it's interesting because I think we all were a little wishing things would speed up. We were all wishing things that could have mm-hmm. been condensed. And like we ha- as you're hearing us talk, we had some issues with certain things we saw. But I think we all ended in a place after three and especially after four where we were excited to see what was coming next. Like we're on the ride. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we like Ca- yeah. we like Cassian, uh, different degrees of that. Uh, we like the, the sort of the quote unquote villain at this point chasing him uh, with Karn. Um, we love Luthen, Stellan Skarsgård's character. Mon mm-hmm. Mothma hasn't even shown up yet. She will show up next yes. episode. Uh, spoiler alert. So you're gonna get to some mm-hmm. Mon Mothma next next episode, and we're off the planet, and now we're going. We just wish it had, yeah. we had gotten here quicker. Like that, we're we're at the yeah. place we want to be. We just wish we'd gotten there a little sooner. Yeah, and but I am really glad that they released the first three episodes together because I do think if they had just done them one at a time, no and like I think people, I think people would have had a, a much more difficult. But it's like getting the three together, you're like, oh, I see where we're going. It just took us a little while to get there. So hundred percent. Um, all right, mm-hmm. you've heard Lauren and me blab on and on about the uh, first three episodes, but what say we hear from the folks? that actually made the damn show. I spoke with Diego Luna about everything we just saw, and we will play that interview for you next. And coming up right after that, Devin chatted with series creator Tony Gilroy, so you'll get to hear all about his vision for the screen as well. Lots more to come with Diego Luna and Tony Gilroy, and it's all coming up right after this quick break. Before we get to all the stuff in the first three episodes that we all just saw, Diego, I, I actually interviewed you in the cast of Rogue One for a Sirius XM town hall right before that movie came out. And, and I remember asking you all, you know, hey, I know this is a prequel to A New Hope, but do you, do you think there'll be a sequel for these characters? And you all got really awkward because you knew, which I did not at the time, that essentially like everybody died. <laughs> so, so making yeah. a sequel a little hard. But that kind of leads me to wonder, like, how surprising was it then for you to be able actually to come back and, and revisit this character for the show? I would be lying if I if I tell you that I never thought of it. Obviously, I did think of it. And we made so many jokes on set on what the possibilities were, you know, uh, of, 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 of coming back. And obviously, one was like going on a, on a prequel. 
but I never thought of it as a as a real chance uh, because also I think I didn't find it healthy. You know, it's like I don't like this thing these days that uh, these new formats are bringing, where people are always expecting more. You know, like you go into a show and you you get hired to do something. And uh, you're always thinking or like, oh, I hope there's a second season or I hope there's part two or I hope there's like, uh, to me, I learned, as, you know, in my life that it's about living the present, you know, it's about enjoying what you're doing, you know, and, uh, uh, and, and for me, for the sake of my, my yeah, health and, and clarity, mental health and clarity, I would say like things need to have a beginning and an end you know, yeah. for me to, to understand them and enjoy them, you know, and enjoy the ride. Uh, every, I, I, till today, I can tell you, I haven't gone into a project uh, with that ambition of like, hoping it would last longer or it will go to so, somewhere else than what I have in front of me, you know? So, so for me, it was, was pretty clear that that uh that Rogue One was a, a show that I had to enjoy from beginning to end. That that at the end I would be promoting it and then going back to my life and doing my stuff, and uh, and that was it, you know. And and it's it's interesting because then I got offered Andor, uh, but with the same premise, you know, because Andor has a clear ending, which is Rogue One. We can't. I mean, once once Tony Gilroy came up with the idea of going back five years. Uh, there, there is just five years to tell. You know, there's not much more. You know, it's we'll keep going clear. backwards. We're just going to keep going backwards. Right? <laughs> no, impossible. Years. It would have to be someone else, man. I'm, I'm not getting any younger. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the, definitely would have to be someone else. So for me, this, this is it. You know, it's, a, it's a beautiful journey now that I have. 24 episodes, 24 short films uh, to not that short, uh, but <laughs> yeah, shorter films to, to tell the story of, 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 of where Cassian comes from and how he got to be the man we met in Rogue One. But, uh, but it, it does have a beginning and an end. Therefore, I can understand it and I can enjoy the ride and, 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 uh, and kind of like picture... The finish line, <laughs> the finish line, the aim, you yeah. know, the aim we have in, uh, we have, uh, I mean, I think, I think that's needed. Otherwise you're always working, uh, to get somewhere else, you know, which I, I, I don't think that way. I, I don't like, you know, those, all those people and coaches that tell, uh, tell people that are a little lost, like, Oh, but picture yourself in 10 years, where you want to be, you know? project that and work for that and i go like no it's like that's just that's nonsense you know who's gonna who tells you you're gonna be here in 10 years worry about what you're doing today do it the best way you can enjoy the ride make sure you give the most you you, you know you give everything you have and uh, and something will happen cool if if, if you do that uh, and if not the journey was worth it you know so it's about now the moment yeah i feel the same way it, it, it is fun now to sort of link up what we're seeing now in these episodes to the movie and i was thinking about there's that line in the movie where cassian says i've been in this fight since i was six years old right but when we first meet him here he's not part of the fight right he has no love for the empire but he's not actively fighting him right he seems hesitant luthan says luthan says to him like when are you going to start fighting these bastards for real why is he hesitant when we first meet him here 
I think it's not. I think it's just another example of of, of what oppression looks like. You know, uh, when you don't think there is there is options, when when every chance of hope is taken away from you. You know, uh, and I think that's when we when we meet these characters in this community in a moment where there's just the empire. There is no there there is no no two sides yet. You know. Uh, and that's why I think I think the be the beauty of this show is that we're gonna see what what oppression looks like, feels like, what what it is to be in a marginalized world where where you can't articulate community, uh, you know, where you are taken, all your freedom is taken away. Therefore, your chance to dream, to 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 understand that you can be part of change because change is just impossible, you know. So I think we'll see we'll see what he means with uh with being part of the fight since he was six years old and uh, and and through the course of these twelve episodes we'll understand what that background is. Uh, we'll understand why Cassian sounds different than anyone else on Rogue One. You know, mm. uh, no one has that accent. No one yeah. no one seems to come from where he comes from. Uh, we'll get to understand that and 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 understand what that past really is uh, and what he means with the with, with the struggle with the dark past with with being part of a fight since he was really young and uh, I, I believe is is the story of someone that has been forced to my migrate you know uh, it's it's a refugee it's uh, it's someone that clearly has gone in this life. Uh, through through the experience of the empire taking away everything you know everything uh, and uh, but that's not just him it's it's so many people you know so many people in this galaxy that are there and we have to go and witness how that feels uh, in order to understand why a revolution is needed why a rebellion uh, is needed you know and we get, we get some clues from that in these first three episodes and you know, we hear a nugget about Cassian's father being hung in the square and things of that nature. And, you know, it's really interesting, Diego. Actually, you know, one of the things I originally loved so much about Cassian when I first saw Rogue One is that he's a hero. And yet in the very first scene where we meet him in that film, we see him straight up murder a dude and a dude who's actually helping him and the cause is an informant. But this is what needs to get done, you know, in, in the rebellion. And so let's let's spin that what we saw in Rogue One into what we see here at the start of the first episode of Andor where Cassian, you know, he accidentally kills one of these corporate security guys, right? Trying to shake him down. But then he very clearly intentionally kills the second one. And that to me is a huge moment. What's behind that decision? And what does that say about where he is right there? Well, he, he I mean, we, we find him in a very dark moment. Uh, and and he, he understands because of exactly what, what oppression is. You know, the moment, the moment in this galaxy, what that means, what killing that, 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 that first corporal means, you know, uh, and, and, and he's a survivor. He is a survivor, no matter what it takes, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and I think it tells you, it tells you about the, the, what justice means in the galaxy then, you know, mm -hmm. the, uh, there's no way you can expect justice to to be fair you know and uh, and he has to fix it himself uh 
because there there is no there is no nowhere to go no one to convince or, or no one will help him it's like the absence of state you know mm-hmm. uh it's, it's it, it it happens in the places where where there's an absence of 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 of, of the institution uh that that would provide justice you know there's no there's no sense of that in this world there's no sense of that in this galaxy therefore he understands that his only possibility of not being thrown in jail forever you know is basically yeah finishing the life of of the of this other corporal and uh, and and that triggers our story you know but it's interesting cuz he you know He'll do what needs to be done, but he, then he does have a code. Like in Rogue One, we see him sort of kill that informant in the alley when we first meet him because he's going to draw all the attention. Yet then when he has a chance to, sh- to kill Galen Urso, he doesn't do it. We see here in episode three, right? Y- you got a gun on Kyle Soler's character, Karn. Luthen says kill him, but you just leave him tied up instead. So that says something about Cassian's code. I'm not sure what it says. So wh- why spare him in that situation after killing the guy back in episode one? I think I think he learns from his mistakes, you know. The problem the problem of that second corp is that they looked at each other in the eyes, you yeah. know. Therefore, he's never going to forget that face. He's never going to forget like he 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 will be hunted for the rest of his life. But he 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 doesn't think of the scale of what he's doing, you know? Because he is very I mean, we find him in in a very uh, selfish moment where he is not completely aware or interested in what's going on in the big picture you know he doesn't realize how much how much he is uh how do you say when you put a mark on your life like how much is he defining the 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 rest of his life by that decision you know he's not thinking about that he's just thinking about saving the day going back home getting rid of all the, the possible you know trace that he can live and and he really thinks he's going to be able to escape to to go hide for a few months and then go back to be who he was that for us was really important to make sure we we understand that we are seeing a, a childish version of the, of the Cassian we met you know uh, someone that is not completely aware of the big scale and of the of the repercussions of of his acts but after this event he he's transformed he has a moment where he tells his uh, his his mom i messed up i messed up you know uh, and the next time he's in front of someone with a gun in the head he thinks it twice you know yeah. and that's the beauty of this show there there's always chance for redemption you know characters are not good and bad you know they live in the gray areas they're trying to be the best version of themselves but they fail sometimes and the beauty of these characters is that they give themselves another chance you know which is something i believe important to say you know we're not meant to be perfect we're meant to understand and to grow with the mistakes we make but mistakes are are important in life you know and the only certainty we have you know if you're real i mean if you're a real human being the only certainty you have is that you mess up many times you know but what happens when you mess up is what makes you different man i could not be more real then i could not be more real <laughs> exactly mistakes so by the time cassian leaves ferrex then with luthen is he all in or is he just trying to get away from troubles only kind of like half in at this point 
Yeah, no, no, I don't think he's all in. I think there's still for us a long ride to go. And, and, and many things have to happen still to him. And, and many people have to cross paths with him. I think he's confused. I think he's, he's, uh, things have happened too fast, you know? And suddenly, by one decision, you know, because it's one decision that we see when he goes to, 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 to that brothel to ask for his sister. It's just that decision just suddenly makes him being in part, in, in the middle of like a turbine, like, a, like in the Wizard of Oz. What is it that takes Oh, the, the tornado. House? The tornado, yeah. Yeah, in the middle of one, you know. In a, by one decision, by one moment, by, you know, and uh, by by not taking it in, by not not playing, you know, the game of the corpus, and not paying and and letting it happen. I mean, he he reacts to abuse in a way uh, that that becomes quite destructive for him, you know. Uh, but one thing is clear: he can't stand abuse, you know. He mm -hmm. can't stand what happens with those corpus. Uh, he won't stand that anymore in his life. You know, which is a good sign, you know, because that because that's that's where the spark, the seed is planted. You know, you understand that this man can't handle injustice, can't handle oppression, can't handle abuse. What's Cassian's relationship with Bix? What's going on there, Diego? Are they just friends? Are they something more? What's what's going on, my man? Come on. <laughs> oh, man, we, we're going to have to wait. But uh, what I can tell you, and it's obvious, I mean. It's a long relation, you know? Yeah. They know each other pretty well. They've been around for a long time, you know? And the relation has transformed in many ways. Uh, I, think, I think you can tell uh, in the way he talks to his mom and to be about Bix that she is special for him. She's something else, you know? Can't wait to see where that goes. Were you, were you ever, did you ever meet the kid playing young Cassian on a Canary? Of course, man, of course. <laughs> what was I that like, meeting your just, younger self? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, we saw each other in, when he, he flew to, to London to do his last like session just to make sure that he was the one. And uh, we met, we talked. I was, I, I was very much uh, kind of like uh, worried and con not worried, but like part of the process of getting getting to him. Uh, for me, it was important that 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 it was some someone that would come from where I come from. You know, to yeah. me, that's really important. Also, because because uh, it's very subtle, but uh, but you can tell. You can tell that we 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 share something, you know. Uh, and even though we were shooting this in COVID times, I mean, well, we are still in COVID times, but in the worst part of the pandemic, let's put it this way, this role was important that would come from Mexico. And this kid is magical, man. He's 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 very special and does a lot with with the way he with his eyes, you know, which is important for this role more than anyone any other role you know and it has that spark that is that is really cool in his eyes but yeah when uh, i did i did spend time with him and uh, i was i was i mean we were shooting at the same time in london so i was able to to welcome him and uh and and make him feel part of the of the family and the and the team you know that's awesome. So look, I'll, I'll before I let you go, you got to give us a, just a little tease now. Everyone's seen the first three episodes. We know you've you've left Ferrix now. What sort of what can you tell people to expect coming up? 
Oh man, I would say a lot of water and uh, and a lot of green. Um, <laughs> the, the 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 beauty of, of of this show is that every time you think you you know what to expect, what's gonna happen, what characters are around, what the tone is, also the series will transform, will evolve, and go somewhere else. You know, and it's this format that allows us to do that. You are about to meet a lot of new characters. You are about to explore a planet you didn't know existed, you know? You're, and, and that's going to keep happening. That's going to mm-hmm. keep happening, which is, which is the beauty, again, not just of this format, but of this project that took that risk, you know, of moving forward. Like the story of Cassian has to move forward. It's not stationary, you know? It's about that, that journey that transforming journey, you know? So be open for, for, for new stuff to come. I can't wait to see it. And actually, before I let you go, I need you to weigh in on something because we did this uh, thing where we ranked every, like the top 100 Star Wars characters and all my coworkers in Entertainment Weekly keep getting mad at me because I keep insisting that K2SO is the best Star Wars droid ever. Now you've worked with him. He's kind of like your co-pilot, K2SO. We haven't seen him yet on the show, but how do you feel about my hot take that K2SO is the best Star Wars droid. Oof. I mean, uh, uh, these days I'm, 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 I'm working really close with B2. Uh, I don't right. want to break his heart, man. But uh, <laughs> I, I, w- I wouldn't fight you at all. I think K2 is quite e- unique, cool, uh, modern. And, uh, I, I, and I, love, I love that he represents like, most dangerous and 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 evil uh, you know that a droid can be <laughs> and at the same time you find this beautiful soul you know it's like the, this idea that no matter how evil and dark someone is there's a chance for you <laughs> you know to 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 transform and find kindness and 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 humor also you know i love i love k2 but you know for me, R two D two. It's I know. It's it's R two D two. It's hard. It's I know. It has to be uh, with 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 a rich universe like this one. You you can't put people or or characters to compete. You know because uh, it's it's tough. It's always unfair. Yeah. Well, I listen. I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Hey, Tony. How's it going? Pretty good. Hello. Thank you so much for for taking time out of your day to speak with me um, about Andor. I'm so excited to pick your brain about this show. I guess I'd love to start, you know, Rogue One, you know, of all these amazing characters that it gave us, you know, Cassian is such a delight. What was it about Cassian specifically that that intrigued you and made you want to sort of shape this new story centered around him specifically? Here's a guy. We know certain things about him. We know he's an assassin. We know he's a saboteur. We know he's, my God, he kills an informant. Uh, he kills a, a, a source in the very first time that we meet him. We know that he's the tip of the spear of the rebellion. We know that he's trusted enough that they send him out on this incredibly important mission. They trust him. We know he's really sort of smart and seductive and he can look around the corners and he can see all this stuff. We know he can change his, and then we know he's gonna, with an open heart, he's gonna give himself He's going to die for everybody else. He's going to sacrifice himself. I mean, it's, wow. Okay, that's a pretty fascinating composite of characteristics. So when Kathy came back, Kathy Kennedy came back and said, oh, we're thinking about doing a show about this. When I finally got on board to, to do that, it's a, uh, how do you become that? How do you get to that point? What does it take to get there? And uh, that journey, that odyssey, 
the five-year period to get there seemed like a really, really uh, fascinating piece of meat to center the spine of, of, a, of a really big show about revolution. And, uh, and Diego is just such a potent and versatile and soulful actor. What a great voice to, to, to write for uh, and try to take him from birth to death, you know, take him on the whole world. Yeah, I know Diego has talked a lot about how much he loves this character and how much time he spent thinking about this character and his background when he was working on Row One. You know, when you were sort of planning out this show and writing it, in what ways did Diego influence the story or sort of influence Cassian's arc? Well, I don't want to blow up his shit, but I have no idea what he was thinking on Rogue One. I never, <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm not going to get into the weeds on Rogue One, but like, Everyone in Rogue One was hanging on for dear life. So I don't really know what work he did at home on Rogue One. It wasn't really in my mind. I only know the pieces that we laid out. These are the markers. These are the things that we have to be consistent with. These are the things, you know, it's like, it's if, if you just had a, you know, uh, uh, bits and pieces to build, to build your character on. When I presented to him what I wanted to do with the origin story and with the through line and how we wanted to have him build, whatever he had done before, he just empathetically and instantly was on board. He was, there was no difficulty whatsoever in inhabiting what we had. So I've never really delved into what we're, you know, a lot of times you work on movies, you know, I've directed movies where I don't want to know sometimes what the <laughs> actors are doing because it's really working. It's really, whatever you're doing, just keep doing that because whatever that's, so I don't know what he did before, but, but when we came time to this, we were very much collaborators and it must've been consistent enough that, um, that he felt at home. Absolutely. And one of the things that that fascinates me the most about the show is, is Mon Mothma. I've always been kind of obsessed with her and her arc, and she's kind of been on the fringes of all these major events in Star Wars history. But here we get to sort of see her story. What interests you the most about, you know, getting to, you know, really dive into her story and, and really explore that new side of her? Well, also you're trying to be, I want to be a really energetic electric storyteller. It's sort of like the Shroud of Turin, you know, there's pieces of her that you can sort of see and everyone knows what they are. And it's sort of over there in a museum and it's in these things. And we're like, well, there must be something else going on. So why not have something really cool going on? So she has a lot going on and you're going to find out even more in four, you've, in, in episode, our, our show goes with the first three episodes, which is the first three that'll drop. It's very much Cassian's origin story and it sets up Ferrex and it, it's sort of the fuse that lights the rest of it. When we go to episode four, our story starts to expand. And in four, five, six, seven, it just blows out. We're going to go super wide. You're going to find out a lot about Mon Mothma as we go along. But um, yeah, I mean, she's kind of, uh, I think everybody knows the front, you know? We all know the front. No one has gone back behind, uh, no one's gone home with her and no one's gone in her, you know, no one's gone in her bedroom when she closes the door and screams. And, and you know, it's a period of time where historically in Star Wars, people are under an incredible amount of pressure. We're trying to take all these real people and we're trying to put them under pressure. She's as under as much pressure as anybody in our show. Uh, and that will continue throughout the run. And, and uh, we haven't, I mean, uh, Genevieve O'Reilly just, it's also having an actor, you get into it and you find out, my God, this actor is really freaking great. You, you find out what you can do, what you can write for her. And, and you, we can, we could write all the way with her. That's the best where it just comes together like that. And yeah, in those, in those first few episodes, one of the things that I really loved about it is kind of how ordinary some of the villains are. You know, they're not Sith Lords, they're not Vader, they're just very ambitious people who are, you know, willing to go to incredible lengths to get to what they want. What interests you the most about sort of that version of villainy? 
Man, I look, I've been doing this for close to 40 years at this point. I don't, the whole concept of writing villains as if there's something outside of yourself is, it's just, it never works. You can see it on the page where people do it. You go to the movie and they go, wow, they just never, to me, I mean, everybody's the hero of their own story, you know? The villain, you can't write a villain that doesn't have a point of view and doesn't love what they're doing and isn't motivated by something really, you know, something important. These are people who really care about things and, and circumstances and their own insecurities, their own fears, their own careerism, their own weaknesses, whatever it is, their own, their own ego, they're following a path that makes them a villain in your story. They're, you write them the same you write everybody else. They, they need, they want, they care, they... Uh, so um, everybody always seems to find it really fascinating when villains are, are human, but um, pick a villain in history, pick a villain in the newspaper, dig a little deeper. It's always interesting. Absolutely. But yeah, I love that these villains are, they're not the top of the food chain, I guess, let's say. Like, they're not, you know, Vader, they're not necessarily calling the shots. Like, that's no, we're not dealing with the royal family. This is on the ground. This is all very real. The analogy that I've used before is that, you know, if, 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 it's, a, if it's a grand restaurant, if it's a five-star restaurant that you've been in all these years, we're going back in the kitchen or we're going down in the, the basement kitchen in this show. This is what's happening in the back of the house. This is what's happening to real people when a revolution's going on. We will, as time goes, as the show goes on, we will be, uh, we're in Coruscant and, and we'll be dealing with the expressions of power. They will be expressed in different ways. But by and large, our people are, they care about what they care about. My God, can I get a, can I get a promotion? Am I going to get fired? Oh my God, what happens? I've just lost everything because this person did that to me. How am I going to get back? I have to go back home and live with my mother. What's that like? I don't have anybody in my life. This is the only thing, my job is the only thing I have. I mean, it's our lives. You know, that it's all the stuff we worry about. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I know you guys used, um, built a lot of practical sets. You shot on location as much as possible, as opposed to using, you know, the volume, which some of the other Star Wars shows have used. Right. Tell me about kind of what went into that decision and why that was important to you to, you know, have those those real practical sets where possible. Those conversations happened in the beginning. I started writing and figuring out stuff. And then Zana Wollenberg, who's our producer, just amazing producer. She'd come off Chernobyl and we had sort of a shotgun marriage. All of a sudden they put us together. And we needed to hire a, uh, a production designer. And um, very controversially at the time, but very important to us, we hired a very young, but uh, really gifted a production designer, Luke Hull, who had done Chernobyl. Very, I mean, not a traditional Star Wars choice at all, but we were really sort of, we weren't just laying down a marker, but we were testing Disney and also challenging ourselves for what kind of show we were gonna make. Um, the volume presents itself early on because it's, man, it's an amazing tool. Uh, you know, what it does is extraordinary. The drag is you kind of, at this point, have to be either or. You can't successfully do a hybrid show where you have a, a location, old school kind of show. The workflow is so different in, in a stagecraft or volume show. You do all your post-production first. Everything has to be done first. All your plates, all your images, everything. So it's all there in the room. In our show, everything is at the end, and it, you just, it's, it's like turning a, a gigantic ship around. You can't change your workflow. It doesn't fit. And, and uh, so I guess at some point, someone's going to figure out how to do hybrid shows, but it's kind of, our show lent itself to being, because it's gigantic, and it's wide, and it's huge, and people run, and we wanted to have, you know, we have an eight and a half acre set that we built for, for Ferrix, and, you know, we wanted to have that kind of scale. But we didn't even have the opportunity to use the volume on a small scale because you just, like I said, you can't, 
you can't add it to your arsenal very easily. Yeah, that makes total sense. From these first few episodes, I feel like one of the, the big breakouts is this this new droid, B2. We got we got to talk about. Oh, we um, haven't hasn't come up all day. Thank you. All day? I mean, yeah. Tell me about, you know, what went into designing and developing him. Man, it's such a trip. If if you're, you know, I was at the creature shop uh, the other day because we were we were creature shopping for for part two. I mean, look, you go in and and, and I said, okay, I want to have a I want to have a salvage droid the thing, and I want to have a family dog. I want to have an old dog. It's an old dog, and that's where we started. And the conversations come, and you know, my God, what color should it be? What size should it be? What does it do? How does it? And they have over time. Uh, Neil Scanlon and that whole crew up there, they've moved forward as much as everybody else's. And the possibilities and the things that they can do now are amazing. All of that, that droid is just totally practical. It just all works. I mean, we were up there the other day and they were goofballing. With one, of the, one of the new directors that was on the show was up there. And, and you know, he looked over at B2 and they had, and a guy was had the remote control and it just, it just started emoting in front of him. And it's just, you just melt. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun to do that. When it finally, the final iteration, because you go through all kinds of, versions of it and all kinds of different things. And we finally got there. We're like, that's it. He, he's just beloved. He's a beloved character. Oh, yeah. That must be so nice to go to set and be like, okay, and here's our, here's our other cast member. Here he is. But you know, when they do it in the, and, and the way it works, I'll say, I'll say something else. I mean, if you, I had no time, but this is really interesting because no one else has asked about this. In our case, you know, there's, uh, it, it's, it's practical. It's in the scenes with everybody. It's not a CG element or anything. So there's a, there's a puppeteer, there's someone who's operating it the whole way through. We also had that person doing the voice. Usually the person who does the voice is replaced later on. And we always anticipated that we would replace the voice. And the person who was doing all the operating and doing all the stuff and the primary person there, we kind of got used to the voice, but it was always like, well, we're gonna get rid of that. Uh, and he'd done a lot of other things before and been replaced before. We got to the end and we were looking at some things and my brother, John, who's the sort of, you know, he's on our post, or sort of post-production czar on this show. I was like, man, this guy's really good. And we're like, well, can we have the real guy? The guy who actually did all the scenes in the, did the scenes in the scenes, he got, we gave him the gig. He's the voice of B2. Oh, I love it's that. It's really sweet. He was really, oh my God, it's a huge deal. You know, it's like, it's, it was a very, it was a fun phone call. It's always fun when you can call somebody up and make their day or make their, make their month or more. He was very, it was very cool. That very is pleasing. so cool. Absolutely. And, well, I will let you go, but thank you again so much for taking the time to speak with me. Good thing. I can't wait to see the rest of the show. Eight more to go. Our thanks to Diego Luna and Tony Gilroy for joining us this week. That was super awesome of them to hang out with us, and it was super awesome of you to hang out with us as well. We really do appreciate it, and we'd also really appreciate it if you could please follow and rate the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll even give you a shout out on the pod if you do so. Also, hit us up on social media. You can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morglore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>